Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1418 entitled Who, What, When, Where? Right, <laughs> let's be having ya. Our podcast title is Until We Meet Again, Poddy Whittaker. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Megan. Yes, I'm. we're back together. Back Here we together. are. <laughs> I feel like a, a Doctor Who episode, actually, you know, <laughs> where they where they a nostalgia episode, mm, 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 <laughs> and that's what we're here talking about today on Zero G, Doctor Who, Power of the Doctor. Yes, and we played the opening tracks to kick off the show. We played the Series 12 opening credits sequence, which is by Segan Akinola, and then we also followed it up with a wee little bit of Rasputin by Boney M. Mm. Uh, and if you've seen the episode, you'll probably know why. Yeah, and we should tell you that we are going to spoil this rotten. Yes, I think that's fair. Yeah, because everybody who really, really wants to see it has probably already seen it. Yeah. If not... Run. And it'll be a very short conversation <laughs> if we try to do spoiler-free. Run for your life. <laughs> uh, season 13 of New mm. Who, on top of the 26 seasons of Original Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 1397. That sounds like we've been it running does. for longer than them. <laughs> not, not quite. And speaking of running, 87 minutes long. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's standard for a special, though, right? Is they usually about that? Or? No, this is actually a bit longer than the usual yeah. one. Uh, and it, it meant that it had more room to breathe. Yeah. And it was still breathless, <laughs> I mm. found. Anyway. As was much of the audience, I'm sure, by the end. Yeah. It's the third and the last of the 2022 specials that have pretty much comprised a lot of the, se- the season. Yes. Uh, and this was commissioned for the 100th anniversary of the BBC. Mm-hmm. It's written by the outgoing showrunner Chris Chibnall, who is being replaced by Russell T Davies. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting yeah. in lots of ways. And of course, the other big news is that Disney Plus has acquired the rights to the Doctor Who series. Ah, gosh, ah. they're just collecting everything in their little pile, aren't they? Well, if they have, they've got Star Wars, hmm? they've got Marvel. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who, mm. there's only one other show that they need to get to complete the genre media presence, mm. their whole kit, and that would be Star Trek. Yes. Mm. Don't think they'll be getting that anytime soon. No. <laughs> then, <laughs> then they would not only run the world, they'd rule it too. <laughs> okay. It was directed by Jamie Magnus Stone, who also did in Season 12 Spyfall Part 1. Mm-hmm. 
Praxius, Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children, and who returned to do in season 13 the Halloween Apocalypse War of the Sontarans and Village of the Angels. All cracking good episodes, mm. generally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this story, it's, it's a very standard regeneration story mm. that echoes from previous ones in New Who. Lots of nostalgic feels, lots of that. Yes, even as sort of a um, a fair-weather who-watcher, a dabbler, if you will, um, I could tell that it was a big deal for fans, a lot of what was happening in the special, and I still felt moved despite not having maybe as much a connection to that history, but I liked what they were doing, very nostalgic. And and the bit of the focus on the companions, I could appreciate that. Do Do you get the tingle? That's what I get. Yeah, I definitely could. And I think that comes down to the acting and the chemistry as well. Yeah. Like it, that even these people who I don't have much of a connection to, I can tell that they're part of this bigger legacy. Mm. Um, and I think it's – and I also think there's something about older actors being on screen and, and having that space to to fill up a story as well. So probably not as much as, as a, a Who fan, but I did definitely uh, get the tingle. Does it – does it matter that they've all aged in real time? No. <laughs> How do we even explain that? <laughs> I, I'd rather it not be explained and they just have them un-CGI'd. Yeah. Um, I kind of – I look at it and think this is what the Doctor thinks his or her previous incarnations would look like. So mm. it's like a psychic sort of thing. Mm? Yeah, I yeah. I guess. Yeah. if they can explain uh, language translation as being a gift – from the TARDIS. I, I guess that works the same way. Oh, <laughs> wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. And, you know, these always feel like a bit of a farewell tour and a victory lap combined, yes, Yeah. these regen stories. It starts with a complex chase across multiple time zones and planets, mm-hmm. uh, contemporary Earth as well as 1960 Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they jump right into it, really. It's like watching uh, that episode of um, Firefly with, yes. the tr- with the train heist. This is a, a space train heist mm-hmm. barreling across the cosmos and the heist is being staged by the Cybermasters. Mm-hmm. If you remember the Cybermen that the Master fidgeted with until he created this strange-looking mm. hybrid. Mm. Don't uh, like it. <laughs> but it's really a costuming challenge when you look at it. Yeah. A, a child was the cargo. Yes. Oh, they all love trotting out. The ch- secret child cargo yeah. ploy. Yeah. And, this, and the cyborgs, of course, kidnap the mm. kitty. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. so many elements in this. A renegade Dalek who wants to help the Doctor destroy their own evil race. Mm. Well, we've seen that kind of thing before. Yeah. A turncoat car led. Uh, multiple villains in this the Master, yep. uh, the Daleks, and the Cybermasters. The Master created these particular Cybermasters to further his own evil ambitions, but they're all united in their universal hatred of the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing brings people together. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all scheming to destroy both the Doctor and the Time Lord's beloved alternate home world, Earth. Mm. Um, and, of course, Sasha Dawan is playing the master again. Yes. He's really into it. Yeah. You know, once again, the master ends up dancing in front of a caged doctor. <laughs> the ultimate master's taunt. <laughs> yeah. And, and Boney M's Rasputin we played because um, he is playing Rasputin in 1916 
uh, Russia. Yep. So, you know, it's just like this. And, and he's perfect at that. Mm. And, and, and Whovians will laugh at the fact that Tom Baker once played Rasputin. Oh, there <laughs> you, know, you go. So, you know, wheels within wheels. Uh, we have multiple doctors and companions piloting the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. echoing previous Regen stories. <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen everything in this before, but it goes together quite well. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, um, the guests in this. <sighs> yeah, I think, and I think as well the context of how they trotted out some of our special guests yeah. helped me understand, oh, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I can go through this in order. Yes, do it. I, like we said, spoilers galore. Let's dig in. Multiple doctors and companions. Number one, the first doctor, David Bradley, playing the character. Of course, William Hartnell originally played the doctor. Or Peter Cushing, if you look at the movies from the 1960s. Uh, you know, So he's there doing the first doctor role, uh, which he portrayed before in the biodrama and adventure in space and time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's been there also for The Doctor Falls and Twice Upon a Time. And I actually get confused now because it's like multiple people have played the first Doctor. Yeah. And he does it so well. He's got the sense of gravitas and the slight sort of crustiness that the first the Doctor crustiness, had. crustiness, yep, yep. Yep. And his companion, mm-hmm. William Russell, playing Ian Chesterson. Mm. Uh, Chesterfield, I almost said. <laughs> That's what the first doctor used to mispronounce his name as. Um, now, Ian was a science teacher uh, with, along with Barbara Wright, who was a history teacher at the mm-hmm. Coal Hill School in the very first episodes of Doctor Who. Wow. And William Russell is playing the character again. He's 97 years Amazing. old. Amazing. He doesn't have to do much in this. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that he actually shows up in a, a scene near the uh, the end where – they have previous companion to the Doctor sort of doing a um, Time Travellers Anonymous yeah, meeting. Yeah, like talking through their experience, support group. And it works. It's a great idea. We've yeah. seen similar things. We've had other companions compare notes. I just thought, <laughs> Makes know, sense, really. It, both of my hearts were beating strongly <laughs> at that time. Um, so, you know, William Russell there. So that was the first Doctor. Uh, Katie Manning pops up. Um, she was uh, playing Joe... Jones or Joe Grant, as she was originally known before she was married in the series. Um, she was the third Doctor's companion, John Pertwee. Wow. So, so, because she lives in Australia and, you know, so there's all these sorts of things that she pops up with in Doctor Who every now and then in ah, specials. And, right, right. And so on. Uh, the fifth Doctor, Peter Davidson, um, there with his companion, mm-hmm. one of his companions, Tegan Jovanka, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet Fielding reprising her role. And look, I got to admit, makes me feel very old. <laughs> Because I still run into people uh, of a certain age who are named Tegan. Mm, mm. And you go, parents Doctor Who fans? Yes. <laughs> uh, Colin Baker there, the sixth Doctor, Melanie Bush, Bonnie Langford, his companion. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvester McCoy, number seven. Mm-hmm. Sophie Altred playing Ace, Aww. another favourite companion. And she, she got some great stuff to do with her trademark Nitro 9 explosive and baseball bat. Loads of stuff for her. That would look like a lot of fun. Yeah, she's a real butt kicker is, is, um, is Ace. Uh, Paul McGann popped up, the eighth yes. Doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And number 11, David Tennant, <laughs> who now is, spoiler, 14, Doctor 14. Yep. Were you surprised at that? 
Uh, I was. I mean, look, no, I, I wasn't because I'd seen a little something when I was researching. But yeah, I was surprised. I, I was, I'm intrigued as to why they've done that. Well, I think it's kind of almost like a bit of a palate cleanser. Sorry, David. Um, and then again, perhaps he needs to validate his status mm. to enable him to have um, specified <laughs> privileged parking at apartment blocks. <laughs> you must have seen the sign outside of most of those. Tenant parking only. <laughs> Some of them even have parking for unit as well. Anyway, we got <laughs> Jody coming back. As course, as the Doctor 13, mm, this mm. is her swan song. I thought she was brilliant in this. She's got a really nice energy. I think mm. she mixes sort of this kookiness with a quite um, serious undertone. Mm. Uh, there's really nice tension there. And she's fun to watch. I will always, in my head, picturing her in the pose of uh, slightly leaning forwards, mm. with her arms wide, um, sort of cuffing her sleeves on her coat and, you know, Mouth wide open, big eyes and saying, what? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, of course, she comes along with uh, Mandip Gill as uh, Yaz <laughs> and John Bishop still playing Dan, although Dan bows out during Quite the course of the Quite early, yes. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting given that it really seemed like part of the first chunk was to kind of him to reckon with his role and to step aside and then they continue with the rest of the, the special with Yaz and the Doctor and various mm. people coming in. Uh, he does reappear again later, but I thought that was interesting that he was gone for the bulk of it. And, of course, Yaz is still wrestling with her romantic entanglement, mm. pretty much one-sided, uh, with the Doctor. Mm. And I, I thought that was very interesting. And, and that could have gone all sorts of ways. And I, you know, I was actually waiting for the kiss and it didn't happen. Mm. And the way they did it was beautiful and yeah. moving. Yeah. It, you could sense the connection and yeah. the ending was quite bittersweet. Yeah, and- yeah. And just, they played that well, both of them. Just Yaz and the Doctor sitting on the TARDIS roof in space mm. looking at Earth, protected by the TARDIS's force field. I was wondering that, but I was like, I'm not going to question it. It's a nice moment. <laughs> and having sharing and having ice cream. Yeah. Oh. That was nice. <laughs> all the feels. And, uh, of course, we also got um, uh, Jo Martin reprising her role as a fugitive Doctor. Mm-hmm. So multiple doctors, multiple companions. A lot. Stuffed full, yeah. Oh, and the most touching thing, I think, was with the previous doc- – apart from the Yaz, Jody thing um, – the previous doctors got to tie up unfinished business with their companions. Yes. I saw some of those scenes, which did not mean much to me, but I was like, oh, this seems significant. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so many Easter eggs, like the master teasers – Ace about her origins and, you know, these are real deep cuts from Doctor Who. Right, yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know what, this is perfectly played. You know, Chris Chibnall is a Doctor Who fan from way back Mm. and you could call this fan service (laughs) quite accurately, and it is, Mm. but it's really well done. Yep, yep. Which I think in my mind, if you do it well, it's not fan service. It's, It's just, I don't know, giving fans what they want. As part of the story. Yeah, I kind of mean it in the way I take I take the term back. Yeah. You know, yep. like um, I call myself an otaku. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yes, you're reclaiming it. I like yeah, that. Reclaiming like that. it. You know. Yeah. Uh, we also had Gemma Redgrave appearing again. I have seen her in so many things all the way back to when she played a woman doctor in the Bramwell series. Oh. 
you know, oh, <laughs> way, way back. She's a perfect actress and she plays Kate Stewart, uh, who is the, the unit boss. Mm-hmm. And she now bridges multiple Doctor eras too. Oh, okay. In her role. We also got Vinda, played by Jacob Anderson, appearing again. Uh, appropriately, I thought, he was exactly the right character to pop into what they did. Yep. And, of course, they all end up piloting the TARDIS, as they often do. Yeah. Ace is really good at it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, and did you love that they got Graham back, Bradley Walsh? I was very pleased when I saw Graham and I messaged Rob and I said, Graham, yay! (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, he sort of fancies Ace. Uh, Yes, they had a moment. (laughs) A moment. You know what? That could work. Yeah. I could see that happening. So, you know, I, I just felt that that aspect of the show was very, very strong. I thought the master showed well against the doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if anyone thinks that the master is dead at the end of this episode, <laughs> really, seriously. Come, on. Come you know. on. Were you surprised by the David Tennant appearance? Yes, totally. Mm. I, I did not know anything about mm. it. You know, I, I think I might have heard something that might have alluded to it, but I just put that down to, oh, he's going to appear uh, as a, uh, you know, another like doctor. Like the others yeah, did in like a little cameo, yeah. Now, that's an interesting question. So we have we have Jody regenerating into David, mm-hmm. and the implications of that are quite staggering. But at the same time, oddly enough, we have had actors appear in Doctor Who before they got to play the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Peter Capaldi and Colin Baker both having appearances, mm-hmm. and there was a, a at least one time other time Lord. Um, Lala Ward mm. appeared as a character before she became the uh, the time Lady Romana. Mm. And it's not that hugely unusual, but to actually have them play th- yeah. another incarnation of the Doctor, that's complicated. Is that anything that's explicitly been sort of said as part of the law isn't possible? No. To, yeah. So I guess any, they can take it in any direction then. Although that said, I don't know for sure mm. because, you know, we're talking thousands of episodes. True, true. I'm not, on, I'm not across all of them, you it, know. It will be interesting to see how they handle the then handover. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think um, Tenet gets three episodes. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it's an extended cameo really. Yeah. And, and I feel like, like, a, like I said, a palate cleanser. It's like bringing us back to the Russell T Davies era because he's a new showrunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that takes it back to that kind of thing. Yeah. And then yep. they'll move on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like they were yanking the rug out from Shuti Gatwa, but there was a little bit of an element of that, do you think? I did wonder. I thought... You know, is this him then missing his moment to take over from the previous Doctor and that's what people were expecting? I did wonder a bit about that and whether it detracts a bit, especially if people really love Tenant Re- Tenant's Return, which I imagine he has a, a wide fan base. Oh, of course. Um, Massive. Even And, you know, he's one of the main Doctors that I really remember because he was part of, you know, the, the, re- the, the comeback, I suppose. Um, into mainstream. So I, I, I hope it doesn't um, sort of have ripple effects. Yeah. Ripples in the space-time. Eddie's in the space-time continuum. Or, or if it does, that they're positive. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know what it does to action figures. <laughs> <laughs> Though if you have two David Tennant Doctor Who action figures, you're laughing. Is his outfit <laughs> the same? No. It's um, slightly different, it's, isn't it? It is different and it's echoing some other Doctors as well. Mm. Uh, and... 
Which sonic screwdriver is he going to well, use? Well, they're going to make it all new, Rob, because that's a merch ploy. Because <laughs> yeah. then you've got, you know, OG Dr. David Tennant and then you've got this new one. If it's a new outfit, it's going to be new everything. Is he going to stay long enough to change the TARDIS interior? I'd, I'd wager maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Yes. Who knows? And what, is it, and what does the TARDIS think of it? Oh, I'm sure on board. Mm. Yes. <laughs> on board. <laughs> I kept running into 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 echoes of, of old Doctor Who lore in this, uh, the Daleks once again trying to blow up the world with a, a volcanic bomb, essentially. That old thing, yes. Oh, it's been around so often in Doctor Who. Uh, and, you know, and, and Chris Chibnall obviously knows all of that stuff. But I, I thought this was the, the, the only real problem I had with this. Mm-hmm. Even at 87 minutes, mm-hmm. it did feel a little breathless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been pondering this for a while. You know what? I reckon that a lot of the problems with New Doctor Who, and I don't, th- I don't think it has as many as some people do, but I think it could be solved just by slowing the pace a little. Mm, uh, yeah. Maybe returning to a three or four episode serial story. Yep. If that would be the way, but of course they're, they're not doing as many now, so yeah, you, know. you don't want it to then take up too much space inside one season if you yeah. have one long. Yeah. Multi-episode arc. Yeah. I'm not not because I can't handle fast-paced Doctor Who. I just feel like it helps it breathe more. Yeah, and you can tap into some of the relationships and yes. other things if you've got that time. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Precisely. Interesting. I like the I did like the act that said I did actually like the the fight scenes and the action and the way it <laughs> played out. <laughs> you know, Ace got to do her thing. We had some interesting action with Tegan mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Kate Stewart. Yep. Not being not being benched in the show, but actually playing active participatory roles, as they would do because they've got a lot of experience yeah. in, in doing this. Absolutely. And I, I love the way that the old companions just step up. Yeah. I mean, who, who else is going to do this when the Doctor's not on Earth? Yeah. Mm. I like that idea. Yeah. So we've seen that in uh, the Sarah Jane Smith adventures and I just... I think, oh, oh. <laughs> It got you in the feels, didn't it? It did. I've I, I got to watch it again, actually. I love the fact that the Doctor had an emergency plan. Yep. Uh, an AI hologram. Yep. Um, of course. It, it makes sense. Not, yeah. that, not that her companions actually needed it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what's nice, I think, that, you know, you can see some of the agency and the skills that you pick up being thrown into these situations as a companion. Yeah, you're you definitely would. not adrift or, or, or useless in any way. You know, they've, they've compiled quite a lot of skills. Mm. So what did you you feel about it? Because, I mean, I know you started watching um, Doctor Who basically with the uh, Christopher Eccleston, Billy Piper sort of era? Or? Bits of. Bits and of. then I've dabbled in and out and then mainly was the Jodie Whittaker era when I sort of really jumped on. I, I liked it. I did think I missed a lot out because I wasn't as across the history. That being said, that didn't upset me. I wasn't like, I've been locked out of this show I, I could tell that it was important nostalgic moments and I was fine to go along with that, to be honest. Um, and I do think there's something, even as a casual Who fan, interesting about the regeneration arc and when it comes to the crunch time in a season. Yeah. And and there's a bit of curiosity about, the you know, the farewelling the old and, and how they're going to wrap that up. Mm. So I think... Overall, I, I enjoyed it, but obviously didn't get as much out of it as I would have um, if I had all those different markers from the history. Uh, Do you feel it yeah. was a good note for Jodie to go out on? It's hard to say because I feel like there's maybe a lot of things that I just, you know, she sort of says she wishes she needs more time and she's not quite. I, I, I kind of felt that way too, a mm. little. 
Yeah, I wanted to see myself. I wanted to see Jodie have at least another full season. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see more of her, and I think there's some more things of her specific Doctor's arc that could have been been capitalised on and shown and fleshed out and explored more. So it's a bit sad to think that there's some unexplored avenues, maybe. Well, there's a lot, actually, isn't there? Because they, like, destroyed the universe and there's a lot of that sort of stuff that's... It's just like hanging. It's just not really there. We've sort of skipped on past that. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I, I mean, I wonder if it's as, as it was planned or if... You know, I don't know. But it seems like there's, they were going to maybe do more and then they just haven't. Yeah, maybe. So. Who knows if we'll circle back to any of that. It might be just sort of left parked off somewhere. Who knows? I mean, it could be lovely to bring her back at some point. I don't know how, but I'd like to see her again. It feels <laughs> sad to farewell her as the Doctor. Uh, I liked her as the Doctor. She's one of my favourites. Mm. Uh, you're right, the energy that she had. Mm. Um, I didn't think I'd ever see anyone who would have quite as much energy as David Tennant <laughs> running through the Doctor role. She did. Yeah, and I, I love that it was this really distinct kind of mm. energy that she brought to it. Very, I think she's done a really lovely job. Yeah, and she never forgot the humanity of the role, ironically. Totally, yes. Yeah. Yes. I think if I had to sum it up, I don't have to go further than Jodie's own words about her time in the TARDIS. It was about inclusivity. Mm. I felt she was very much a doctor for the 21st century and for the 2020s in particular to start it out with. I think she was a worthy successor to the previous Doctors and she's going to stand tall in my action figure collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think she's earned that spot in as much as who, Doctor Who needed to be more inclusive. I think she's also earned her spot in her own right as someone yeah. who can portray the Doctor really well, not just, you know, she's she's not – It's this isn't a – what do you call it? She's not token in my mind. Yeah, yeah she's, absolutely. Um, she's an example of the range of Doctors that we can get. yeah. And look, I, I, there were many stories that she appeared in during her sojourn, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed a lot of them. And some of them were first class work. Some of the standalone, like the different bits and pieces, like standalones that they fleshed out, that they were fun, hmm. interesting. Yeah, and the Rosa Parks one, I thought that was. Great. I was going to say that was. I think that's what I think of a lot as well. And of course, the uh, the most recent, actually, some of the most recent ones were the Weeping Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are really strong stories. Yeah, it's all come together. Yeah. Right, well, look, we'll leave Jodie mm-hmm. now for the moment, although I'm sure she will appear once again in Hopefully. other ones. So we've got Jodie Whittaker singing here. Uh, found this when she first uh, took on the role. And this is her singing a song called Yellow, and it's from a BBC Children, Children in Need concert. Hello, this is Paul McGann. I play the eighth incarnation of The Doctor, and you are listening to 3 FM. Tag, you're it. <laughs> now... After the Doctor, we go to some other lost boys and girls in space and time, mm-hmm. Neverlanders. Now, that's a graphic novel from Penguin Books, which is a, an interesting thing. Penguin does do graphic novels from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, any work of fiction that involves runaways or otherwise lost children yep. forming a community, it sort of inevitably contains elements common to or takes inspiration directly from or just plain adapts hmm. characters and situations from J.M. Barrie's 1902 novel The White Bird and the author's own subsequent 1904 play, Peter Pan or The Boy <laughs> Who Wouldn't Grow Up, and its sequel play, When Wendy Grew Up, <laughs> an afterthought. Now, 
This is all contributing to the subsequent reworked novels Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens and Peter Pan and Wendy. Mm -hmm. In its complex evolution, Barry's tinkerbelling with his seminal concept puts me in mind of the freewheeling, multimedia, ever-morphing delight that Douglas Adams' also classic, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is. (laughs) Now, over the years on Zero G, we've reviewed and looked back at many works across television, movies and comic books derived from Barry's iconic and seemingly immortal tales because they never grow up. Audiences and readers have flown for over a century over Pan's far-off Neverland, from a 1924 silent movie adaptation of the original stage play through to the beloved 1953 Disney animated film and its multiple spin-offs. Now, I myself have a soft spot for Steven Spielberg's (gasps) over-the-top and under-the-keel 1991 film Hook. Me too. I grew up with that. It is such an odd premise when you think about it, but absolute died-in-the-wool classic. Robin Williams as Peter, Dustin Hoffman as the steel-handed Stingray Captain Hook. A man so quick he's even fast asleep. (laughs) Julia Roberts along for a flutter as Tinkerbell. (laughs) And, of course, Bob Hoskins as Smee. That's right, yeah. What about Smee? You know, the opening shot of Neverland in that where they just – the screen expands mm. and we see the pirate cove and yep. all the ships and stuff. I'm watching that on the big screen and thinking, that's nuts. <laughs> that is so too much on screen at once. Yep. Insanity. Yep, yep. <laughs> but he went for it. <laughs> and, of course, there's J.P. Hogan's 2003 movie Peter Pan mm-hmm. and Joe Wright's 21.5 film Pan. Mm. Yes, of course. And and sure, we've dabbled a hook in the referential, if not always reverential, left of field entries like Charles Schumacher's 1987 Wicked Cool Teen Vampire film, The Lost Boys. Yeah, classic. And spawned its own multi-movie franchise too, that. Mm -hmm. We recently reviewed the Marvel Comics-based television series Runaways. Yes. Which had a a Lost Boys slash dinosaur vibe. (laughs) And, of course, there's Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby's very graphic novel, Lost Girls. And so here we are off to Neverland again, this time in a graphic novel. It's called Neverlanders and it's from Penguin Books and its recommended retail price is twenty two ninety nine. And it's certainly worth the price. Uh, it is a soft cover mm-hmm. at, at this stage that, that I have at least. It's written by Tom Taylor and illustrated by John... Samaravia. Sorry, I'm going to run at that again. Samariva. There we go. Uh, Now, Tom Taylor is a Melbourne-based author, a Renaissance man, really. Oh, my gosh, his credits. Um, Comics. Marvel. DC. He's working for DC now. Uh, Dark Horse. Boom Studios. Wildstorm IDW. 2000 AD. Uh, Gestalt Publishing. He has moved 18 million copies of his books worldwide. Nice. Not personally, I hope. <laughs> you associate him with Nightwing, oh. Superman, Suicide Squad, The Deep, Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man, Star Wars, titles like Dark Knights of Steel, which is kind mm. of a medieval Batman and Super Friends. That's cool. Deceased, which is exactly what you think. <laughs> Zombies. Uh, Rombies, which is, again, exactly what you think. Roman Zombies. Huh? And Superior Iron Man, one to nine. My, my, <laughs> Rob's actually clutching his heart right now. I'm clutching my arc <laughs> reactor. 
uh, from 2014 to 2015, which featured an inverted Iron Man, a dead set evil Iron Man, who becomes this techno evil tech guru CEO type. Mm, He's... Tony's always only ever a step away from me. He's, he's always on the cusp, let's be real, yeah. But you know what he does in that? He has this app called Extremist 3.0 that he inputs onto everybody's phones. Oh, God. And it turns you into a superior version of yourself. Oh, God. And it is incredibly addictive. Mm. And the first one's free. <laughs> and then what? It'll be definitely a very high price. Every day thereafter, $99. <gasps> That's exorbitant. It is exorbitant. (laughs) Anyway, now, in October 2021, on National Coming Out Day, Mm -hmm. Taylor announced that Superman, son of Kal-El, which is to say John Kent... Right. ...would be bisexual. And that really put the cat amongst the pigeons. I bet. Um, It doesn't bother anyone on Zero G ever... Anyone connected with Zero G, really. And because this is what we said before, um, inclusivity, Hmm. representation. Yeah. I can't think of a better superpower than that to have, really, you know. And we are going to talk to Tom Taylor, not today, but on next week's Zero G, Mm -hmm. uh, if all is well in the space-time continuum. And on Krypton. And I want to put that to him because that is a really strong thing, you know. And, and I, I run into this in comic books all the time. I'm not a teenage Pakistani-American girl going through uh, her school years and her fandom and t- suddenly uh, given superpowers, mm. you know. Um, I'm not any of these things that I read about in comic books, any of these other characters or the wonderful cultures, and I'm not trying to be a, an emotion vampire and parasitise off of the... Well, maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's always a chance. <laughs> but I, because as a person of mixed race myself, um, it means a great deal to me to see, for example... Uh, Asians on the screen, yeah. not playing martial artists or – I love that too. <laughs> I mean, get, yeah, that's yeah. – Don't get me wrong. Or hackers. Yes. You know. But there's definite stereotypes we've been kind of hedged into. I'd like to see that expand. Even the portmanteau title that I just used there, Asians, mm. you know. There's Japanese, there's Chinese, there's South Korean, there's you know, Vietnamese, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. You know, it's a whole spectrum of people. Um but to see us <laughs> represented on screen, yes. it, it is a powerful moment. Mm. And I feel that powerful moment when I see other people represented on screen, other groups. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's a great thing. Mm. And I think that's what uh, Tom is really good at. On television, he's the co-creator and lead writer of the animated series The Deep, which has been screened in 40 countries across the globe. That's major. Yeah. Often often um, shows that uh, start out sort of in Australia end up like that as children's shows. They just, yeah. they just go wild everywhere. He's in the writer's room of the Indigenous-themed science fiction series Clever Man. Nope. Uh, the Injustice animated DC movie and even a little A4 to A3 musical, which was a short film about love in a photocopy store. <laughs> 
He's done a lot of theatrical that plays. So he's a, a playwright as well. Um, his awards include Shadow Awards, the Stanley Excelsior Award, uh, an award from our um, Australian uh, science fiction and fantasy magazine, Aurealis. Uh, he got noms for the Eisner Award, BAFTA, huh? BAFTA, uh, the Australian Writers Guild, all sorts of things. And, you know, alongside Tom's formidable resume, we've got John Samariva, Canberra-based artist, uh, did Batman, worked on Batman, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Star Wars, The Avengers, a concept artist illustrator for Disney, Marvel, Hasbro, so oh, toys, fun. and Nickelodeon. And his artwork is brilliant. It reminds me a little bit of work done for Tank Girl, oh, yep. s- sort of combined with ElfQuest. Ah, uh, yep. So it's, uh, it, I know he's not doing, setting out to do that, but, you know, when you pick up a book, you'll obviously see things. Yeah, influences that you've come influences, across. Influences, yeah. Hi, I'm Andrea Thompson, and I played Talia Winters, resident commercial telepath on Babylon 5. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R, and I know what you're thinking. Ambushed there by Kate from her Lionheart album in search of Peter Pan was a track, mm. Flying Up That Hill. Lovely. Yeah. Very nice. And that is because we're talking about Tom Taylor and John Summerifer's graphic novel Neverlanders, which is out now from Penguin. Mm. In what you, I guess you call it a trade paperback. Uh, it is brilliant. Mm. Look, Neverlanders. It's what it says on the cover. <laughs> it's a... Band of children who live in a red caravan, which is concealed inside a junkyard in a great American city. (laughs) Now, one of the children is accidentally pushed onto the tracks in the subway. Um, And an orphan boy named Paco, not Taco as my autocorrect keeps putting in, Paco, rescues them. And in gratitude, he is taken back to the kids' base. Now, this sounds like the typical... um, Way in, you know, they'll mm. explain how they're living, yes. you know. Well, I'll give you the first reveal in this, just this first one. Interestingly enough, it's Paco who is the children's key to a better life. Oh. Or at least a more fantastic one because he hails from Neverland, mm. that actual fantasy island, <laughs> which is apparently racked by civil war. Of course. The pirates are grown-ups. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as I think they always kind of were, Yeah, really. yeah, I think that's the, the canon. And the canon, yes, indeed. And they <laughs> are trying to invade Neverland. Okay. They're, they're actually kept off of it by sort of uh, mystic uh, fluence, mm. you know. But that's beginning to fade and they're, ah. they're getting sort of an edge into the place, the bridgehead in Neverland. And they're being opposed by the final lost boy mm-hmm. and warlike fairies, oh. which hail a long way back to the original conception of fairies. Yes, which has changed a lot over time and mm. culture and things. And, you know, it's even said that Tolkien was looking to Peter Pan as part of his influence to create elves. Huh. There you go. Now, the, uh, <laughs> the fairies are led by General Tinkerbell. Now... I don't know. I've seen a couple of Tinkerbell movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a thing for a while. Mm. And I sort of had them on in the background because I was interested in the animation and stuff. Not the character. <laughs> you know, um, and this Tinkerbell swears a lot. Mm. There's an awful lot of use of all of the symbol keys on the typewriter. Love that. <laughs> the redacted. <laughs> you know, there must be a word for that. I must find that out. What, what that... You know, those uh, 
at hashtag dollar sign percentage. Oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like I should know that. Yeah, so do I. I use it often enough. Okay, there's a crocodile, of course, uh, mermaids and a mysterious old man. Oh! <laughs> there Always. are some big story twists in this, some of which I didn't see coming. Oh, fun. And it's a very dynamic story. Mm-hmm. And, and here's my favourite bit. They get to armour up. Uh, mm, okay, yeah. <laughs> Out of the Good Thoughts Armoury. <laughs> and so there's a, a spectacular array of gear. You can tell Tom Taylor is a, <laughs> a comic book fan. A fan, yeah. Fan. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. It, it's, it's lavishly illustrated. It moves right along. I'm so impressed with this. I love a good graphic novel. And, yeah, yeah I would say that the audience is more pitched at, uh, let's say, um, Tweenies, I guess, if you want sure. to yeah, yeah, yeah. that way. Yeah. But you know, if, when you're dealing with the lost boys and girls. Like a young adult. Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, you never grow up, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. Neverlanders by Tom Taylor and John Somariva. It's a penguin trade paperback and it's out now. It should be readily available if it's a penguin. Oh, yeah, it? you know, I've seen it in, um, in Minotaur, in um, uh, All-Star Comics. Uh, yeah. In bookstores. Probably even bookstores, yeah. Probably even bookstores. <laughs> even bookstores. Remember those? <laughs> I wonder if there's an ebook version. Uh, probably. Who yeah, knows? There probably is. All right. Yeah, I keep saying that today. That's You know how we get, you get fixated on a phrase during the show sometimes? Today's fixation phrase was, who knows? <laughs> like Tom Baker tapping that ginormous schnoz of his, playing the curator in the Doctor Who episode. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> All right, now that's about it for Zero G for today. And we played Kate Bush there, and I thought that was just perfect. Yeah. And now we have some K-pop. Yes, EXO. EXO. Go on and pick some EXO, I love that, called Peter Pan. I don't think I've heard this one, actually. Yeah, well, they reference Peter Pan in this a lot, mm-hmm. and it's from their the first album, XOXO. Yeah. Is nice. that the way they, they write their name, or is it just, just the... Uh, the way it comes out on the album cover. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. Now no, there's a... they, they write their, their name EXO, hmm. but they're play, playing off that for the title, album yeah. title. And, of course, it, since we were talking about Iron Man, EXO stands for exosuit hmm. in this case. All right, so this is Peter Pan, not the Mandarin version, but the, uh, the Korean, Korean one. Yeah. And um, next week we are hoping to be talking to Tom Taylor himself in the studio. Thank you to Alice Savage, our diligent podcaster for Zero G. And to everybody at Triple R. We are not that far out from Radiothon that we still don't thank you mm. every day for your patronage. Yes. And thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. G'day. This is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.